0: Grab your popcorn and snacks find a comfy spot take a seat or lie down and let me transport you to a place of fantasy ghost stories ancient legends odd creatures alien encounters and other magical topics you may even decide to join the conversation from faraway lands to your own backyard with a small dash of pixie dust turn out the lights and open your minds the journey is about to begin good early afternoon everybody how's everybody doing yeah, it's kind of strange to be up this early. <laughs> Let me email um, my guest really quick. That way he'll know that, you know, if there's an issue, we can do it by phone. Hang on a second. Let me do this real quick. Let's see, I can call you. There we go. Okay. We'll see if he has issues. Some people can get into StreamYard. Some people can't. Don't know why, don't know why that is, and uh, series <laughs> repeating me, oh my gosh, back to keyboard, okay. Okay, anyway, welcome to California Haunts Radio, my name is Charlotte, I'm going to be your host for the next hour, and hopefully I'll be entertaining for you to watch us. If you're watching from Facebook, please hit that follow button, if you're watching there he is. He's coming. If, if you're watching from YouTube, please uh, click on that little ghost with the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat on, because that will uh, subscribe you to our videos. We have about four. We have over four hundred videos over there, different topics, and I think you'll find something that you like. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'll be, again. I'll be your host for the next hour, and uh, I think we've got a great show for you. Great guest coming up. And also, I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal issue, we can get to you one way or another. We may not be in we may not be in your county, but we're close. Okay, so uh, look us up on Facebook. You can look us up on Twitter. You can look us up at TikTok. You can look us up. We're all over the place, right? Uh, and, you know, I'm also looking for followers on Instagram, and I am Ghosty Gal on Instagram. It's that simple Ghosty Gal, all lowercase. Over at TikTok, we're California Haunts, which is all lowercase. We are Cal Haunts at on Twitter. And then the California Haunts, like I said, is all over Facebook, plus my personal Facebook page you can reach me at. Some people even find my phone number when they Google. Don't know how that happens, but it happens. Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to bring our guest in. Uh, you know, I always think of, like, Like places like old Louisville, kind of like old Sacramento here, because there's 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 activity in in our old Sacramento, our our old town. And but we, you know, when you think about old places and you think about older areas, California is young compared to the rest of the country. You know, you're looking at numbers when you get back east and some of those places, you're looking at numbers going way back to the early 1800s. and stuff. California doesn't do that. You know, we're we're like mid uh, late 1800s mostly late 1800s and on we don't have this this real old stuff so i'm eager to talk with this gentleman not only that david the meaning, i hope i said your name right didn't mean to screw it up i'm horrible with names does walking tours ghost tours and stuff of of, of old louisville so i'm curious to see what kind of stuff goes on anyway i want to shut up now and let's just get on with this and here we go hello sir
1: Hello, it's David Domine.
0: Thank you, Domine. See, I'm horrible with names. I'm just horrible. Close
1: enough, close enough.
0: I'm well-known screwing people's names. <laughs> How are you today, sir?
1: Good. Got beautiful weather here. I don't know about up there.
0: It, it's nice here. It's really nice today. It's going to heat up to about 90, though.
1: Okay. I think we got like a high maybe 76 or something and had nice cool fall weather this morning.
0: I'm so jealous.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm so jealous. Tell me about you, sir.
1: Uh, Yeah, so my name's David Domine. I live in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I came here in 1993 by way of Santa Barbara, California, actually, and I came here to go to school. I didn't think I was going to like Louisville, Kentucky. My plan was to do my time at grad school and law school and get out of town, and that never happened. Kind of sucked me in. (laughs) Uh, Louisville ended up being a good city, a good match for me, and then. Uh, I lived in this part of town called Old Louisville. It's one of the largest historic preservation districts in the country and started walking around and it's just a uh, beautiful, there's a uh, 45 square blocks of old, mostly Victorian mansions, like 1400 old ho- houses and all. And I just fell in love with the neighborhood and that kind of, um, that kind of became one of the reasons I stayed. And in um, 1999, I had a chance to buy a house and I bought a uh, what was for Old Louisville considered a small house. It was only six bedrooms, had about 4,000 square feet. And uh, I moved in in 1999. And right before I moved in, the previous owner just casually mentioned that I'd be getting a ghost that came with the house, poltergeist named Lucy. And I love ghost stories. I've always been fascinated by the paranormal, but I'm kind of a skeptic myself. You know, I say when I actually see a ghost, that's when I'm going to start believing in them. So I didn't really pay any attention to Margaret, the previous owner's warning. And uh, she kind of gave me the side I said, "David, I know you think I'm crazy, but you're going to find out. We have a poltergeist here. We call her Lucy. She, wow. walked, she walks up and down the hallway in the middle of the night uh, on the second floor. She's going to tease your cats and dogs and uh, whatever you do. And these were her last words. She said, just don't hang a picture on the wall here uh, in the butler's pantry next to the kitchen. Because if you do, uh, Lucy will knock them down. She hates, she hates pictures on that wall. And I just kind of shrugged and said, yeah, I went ahead and bought the house. I moved in. What's the first thing I did?
0: You hung a picture
1: on the wall. picture on the wall where she told me not to. That very same day, later on, I was up in my office on the third floor when I heard a crash downstairs and I went down to see what it was. Guess what? There, the picture was lying face down on the tile floor. The glass was broken and scattered uh-huh. all about. And uh, I got the broom and I was sweeping things up. And uh, that's when I looked over and I saw that the nail where the picture had been hanging was still in the wall and the nail was like poking up at a really steep angle and -hmm. i couldn't figure out how the picture came up over that nail because as i was sweeping things up i saw the back of the frame and the wire was intact but i i quickly convinced myself that was my fault that i hadn't done a good job hanging the picture and i sent the pieces off to the framers and i had it fixed and hung again and i didn't do a good job hanging it six more times after that so we never could have a picture on that wall and sure enough everything margaret told me would happen began to happen within a couple of weeks of moving into the house. I began hearing footsteps uh, between like three and four in the morning, going up and down the length of the hallway. And you know, I um, I quickly found out old houses make a lot of noise. But I wasn't hearing random creaks and groans. I was hearing what sounded like easily identifiable hard-soled shoes lightly treading wow. up and down the length of the hallway. And, uh, of course, it was always when I was alone. So I just put my head under the pillow. I was like, you're going crazy. You're not hearing this. <laughs> I tried to ignore it. But the more I ignored it, it's like the more insistent it got. And then other things started happening. My cats and dogs started acting crazy. My three cats wouldn't come out of the tiny closet under the stairs at the front of the house for the first year uh, I was there because they just hated the house. And uh, long story short, that first year of the eight years I lived in that house, we had things happen that people would say we're paranormal in nature. The thing is, I never saw uh, that ghost I was always looking for. So I'm still kind of a skeptic today. Mm -hmm. Other people, other people said they did see apparitions in the house. I didn't. So, you know, seeing is believing, but uh, I've I've become a firm believer in the paranormal, whatever that is, you know? And uh, so living in the house with all that weird stuff happening and my friends finding out about it, I began to meet people in the neighborhood and I met my uh, neighbors and fellow homeowners. And the average house in Old Louisville is like 130, 135 years old. So they all you know, have stories to tell. And people began sharing stories about their houses. Uh, they knew about murders that have been committed. Their family legends have been passed on. Some of them had paranormal things going on. And so i started writing these stories down as a way for me to do my part to kind of help promote the neighborhood and get the word out when i moved to louisville in the 90s hardly anyone was talking about old louisville and it just got so much potential it's such a beautiful neighborhood so i uh, started writing about the neighborhood as a way to kind of get the word out and uh, my first book was a collection of uh, supposedly true ghost stories from the neighborhood people read it they wanted more so i wrote a second book and uh, then i wrote another one after that then i did a best of collection and then i got into true crime and Turns out people uh, wanted to see more about the places they were reading about. So that's how we got into giving tours of the neighborhood. And um, I love doing it. I love showing the neighborhood off and uh, I love writing about the neighborhood. Uh, My 13th book just came out and uh, it's a true crime story. And uh, everything I write, it seems that Louisville or Kentucky pops up in it somehow. So that's that's what you need to know about me, I think.
0: Fantastic. How old age-wise do the buildings go back?
1: Most of them were built in the 1880s and the 1890s, okay. uh, so they're considered Victorian houses, and some have said Old Louisville um, is the largest Victorian neighborhood in the country, but when you go there, it's not like San Francisco where you go, and the Victorian houses are the, the painted ladies, you know, the wooden okay. gingerbread houses. You um, know, Louisville, it's uh, an area that originally was outside of the downtown area. It was kind of developed as the city's first suburb uh, at the end of the 1800s. And it was a very affluent part of town, and the bourbon barons, the titans of tobacco, the racetrack royalty, you know where all the money came from, they could afford the more expensive building materials. So the houses, they're they're built from locally quarried limestone for the most part, or locally produced red brick. And those materials, they tend to impart a more solid, a more stately feel to the architecture. And they think that that's why there's such a high degree of hauntings in old Louisville. Uh, over the years, we've come to earn the nickname as America's most haunted neighborhood. They say you can't go more than, you know, half a block without there being a reportedly haunted house down there. And uh, a lot of my paranormal friends they think it's because what we're dealing with is you know residual hauntings, mm-hmm. uh, things that happened in the past they kind of imprinted themselves. They left their energy behind, and when you have massive, thick uh, brick walls and and thick foundations and limestone in the cellar, you know those things kind of retain energy. Uh, More so than light, airy wooden structures would. And given the right circumstances, these these houses kind of give their stories back. They kind of play these memories back like echoes of the past. And when you've been around 130 years, 135 years, like the typical house in old Louisville has, you've probably seen some stuff. You know, back then things happened behind these walls, just like happened today. People went crazy at home. They killed each other. They killed themselves. They fell in love with people who didn't love them back. They experienced financial ruin in these houses. Uh, they got sick and suffered in these homes. Um, you know, Back then, you normally didn't go to a, a hospital. The doctor made a house call. And if you were really sick, you probably languished on your deathbed at home. You died at home. Your body was prepared at home and laid out in the front parlor. You know, imagine all that happening generation after generation, family after family. It's not surprising right. that some of the houses in Old Louisville have these stories that need to be told.
0: Well, what people don't realize either is that building materials will suck up energy, mm-hmm. like wood and stuff. So if you do have a lot going on in the house like that, it's going to absorb that energy. And, and you know, you might get lucky. Think of your ghost hunter or not the way you think. You yeah. might get lucky and you see replays of all this stuff or, or get the feeling, you know, of dread when you're in a room or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what's one of the more um, popular ghosts in your area? or popular places to for ghosts, you know, as far as that goes?
1: Well, in Old Louisville, there's all kinds of haunted houses. I mean, I've written about, I've written at least about 100 different haunted houses in that 45 square block area. But there's one um, kind of sad story um, right down the block from where I lived. There's a huge um, neoclassical church that was built in 1916. Mm -hmm. the Church of Christ Scientist. And that's the location of what many consider the most famous uh, case of haunting in the neighborhood. And uh, it's got 13 massive columns that flank kind of like a Grecian-style portico entrance. And then there's a bank of steps that go up to the the top level. And for generations, people have reported sightings of this beautiful female apparition that paces back and forth uh, in front of the columns. And they say she's lovely and statuesque. She has black-haired, kind of Gibson girl kind of hair too. She's she 18, 19 years of age, but she's a, a sad, forlorn kind of ghost. Often, as she paces back and forth, people say they uh, will hear her sobs echo down the sidewalks. Wow. And always she wears kind of a long, flowing white gown because when you're a female ghost, what do you need to wear? Long, flowing oh, white gown. So she's kind yeah. of your stereotypical ghost, but they love her. You know, Louisville, they call her the Lady of the Stairs. And supposedly, this lady of the stairs is someone who lived in the neighborhood back in the day. They called her Miss G, and the G uh, stood for Gathrite That was the family's last name. And she came from one of the local um, distilling, or um, uh, 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 not the distilling family. She wanted her her family wanted her to marry into a distilling family. Uh-huh. So she came from one of the wealthy um, families on Millionaires Row in um, Louisville, but her parents had, uh, when they were younger, they had moved them to Bardstown. That's a half hour south of Louisville, where I am now. It's kind of the old bourbon capital. And so in 1918, Ms. G graduated from high school. They were, um, her parents were having financial issues though. And Ms. G was thinking about going on and studying, but her parents were facing bankruptcy. If they didn't marry their one lovely daughter off into a wealthy distilling family, you know, they were going to They were going to face financial ruin. So there was a problem, though. There was only one man available for marriage in the town at the time, and that was an elderly widower, many, many years older than Miss G. And of course, he thought that was a good idea. Miss G's parents were fine with it. Miss G, not so excited about that match. And the main reason was she was in love with somebody else already. So it was um, 1918, you know, World War I was still raging. And the reason there were no young men in town, you know, her age is that they had all signed up and they were in Belgium fighting in the war. Well, Miss G had fallen in love with the dashing young soldier. He had earned some leave and he he had come back to town. They were hoping to get married on the sly, but before they had a chance, um, the soldier received a telegram telling him he had to come back and join the regiment. And Mm -hmm. so he promised his beloved that when the war ended and he was finally discharged, he'd come back and get her and then they'd be married. Well, what they didn't know is when the war ended finally in November of 1918 and the young soldier was um, eventually discharged, mm-hmm. he found out if he re-enlisted in the army right away, he could have his choice of postings across the nation and have a lucrative career as an officer. And that included being posted at the largest military base in the country back then, which was Camp Zachary Taylor. And guess where that was? That was in Louisville. So they had kept in touch and he took that posting knowing that would bring him closer than ever to his beloved. And um when Miss G's parents, you know, found out about their plans to get married, uh, they had sent her away from Barstown So she uh, wouldn't be there when the soldier returned. And she was living with a wealthy aunt and uncle on Third Street on the old Millionaire's Row. And the idea was that they were kind of chaperone her. But uh, it turns out they weren't the strict chaperones the parents were hoping for. And when the soldier came to town, you know, took his post. Uh, it was easy for them to meet because they were letting their niece go out unescorted. Every night after dinner, she'd tell, see you later, aunt and uncle. I'm going down to a Morty's, which is a famous ice cream parlor on the corner to see my girlfriends. And she'd hang out with them. And um, to her credit, uh, she would go see her girlfriend. She wasn't lying, but she'd only see them for a few minutes. And then she'd excuse herself. She'd rush across the street to the First Church of Christ scientists, go up to the columns and start pacing back and forth because back in the day, that was the rendezvous spot for all the young sweethearts in the neighborhood. And any given night, there'd be dozens of couples up there rendezvousing. And that's where Ms. G and her boyfriend would meet every night like clockwork. And so a month went by like this, another month. Uh, eventually, Miss G and her boyfriend grew tired of sneaking around. And they decided it was time for them to run away, to elope. And so they were there on a Thursday night. And they decided the next night they'd carry out the plan that they had been hatching. And that plan would be to meet at their steps like, the normal uh, meeting spot. But then they go downtown, get the overnight train that went to Chicago. There, the young man had relatives they could hide out with, they get married and then break the news of their elopement and people would have to deal with it. So the next night came around and uh, at the ice cream parlor when Miss G showed up, everyone knew something was up because she had a suitcase swinging at her side. And just like today, back then in old Louisville, everybody knew everyone else's business. And before long, they began talking, and they quickly figured out what was up. But nobody tried to stop Miss Jean, Nobody said anything. And after chatting with her friends for a few minutes, she excused herself, rushed across the street, went up to the steps, uh, took her normal position at the column, started pacing back and forth, waiting for her would-be fiancé, but there was no sign of him and uh, she paced back and forth. The evening wore on. It grew colder, darker. Still, he hadn't shown. Eventually, all the other couples began drifting away, and in the wee hours of the morning, it was just Miss G up there all by herself, pacing back and forth in the chill night air. Well, right about then, right before daybreak, some late-night partygoers were coming down the sidewalk, and one of them was a friend of hers, and he looked up, and he said, Hey, Miss G, why are you out so late? What's going on? And she told him she was waiting for someone, and her friend offered to wait with her, and She said, oh, don't worry about me. You know, he's got to be here soon enough. I'll be fine. You go on with your friends. And her friend said, all right. He continued down the street. But then several blocks later, he told his friends to go on without him. He said he didn't feel right leaving Miss G up there on the steps all alone. So he rushed back so he could wait with her. And he got back right as the sun was coming up that morning. But he looked up and he was startled to see that Miss G was no longer there. And he went up to the steps, to the columns. She wasn't there. He looked behind the columns. He looked in the alcoves. There was no sign of her. So he assumed in those several minutes, the boyfriend probably showed up at the last minute and they were gonna get the morning train that went to Chicago. But um, that day passed and when darkness came the next night, people in the neighborhood were kind of uh, surprised when they looked up and there, Miss G was in her normal spot, pacing back and forth at the columns. This time though, they said, she looked different. She was sickly and pale. And when people tried to talk to her, it was as if she couldn't hear or see them. It was like she was in a trance. And all night long, she paced back and forth in front of the columns. But when the sun came up the next day, she was gone. And then the same thing happened the third night. There she was at the columns pacing back and forth, sickly and pale. But this time, people said you could hear her sobs echo down the sidewalk. And so people began asking, you know, what's going on with Miss G? Why is she so sad? Well, they found out why the next morning uh, when the Monday paper came out and they were able to read about what happened at Camp Zachary Taylor over the weekend. So this is kind of timely because it would bring us to early 1919 now. Mm -hmm. And it's when the second of the three deadly waves of the Spanish flu hit. And so estimates vary, but it was as many as 1,500 soldiers at the camp uh, were taken by the flu. And so the day they were supposed to elope, the young soldier had come down with the flu, and he was quarantined with hundreds of others at the base. But, you know, he had packed his bags, and he was planning on leaving that night. When the time came, he got up, and he tried to sneak out. They caught him. They returned him back to his bed, but all night long, the young soldier kept trying to sneak out through a side window with his bag to go to his beloved. Eventually, they tired of it. They uh, tethered him down to the cot, so he wouldn't be able to get up, and he protested. Um, He tried to explain, you know, his girlfriend was out there. It was you know, it was cold, it was freezing cold. Someone had to go to her, but by that point, the soldier was delirious and he was incoherent. And nobody um, knew what he was talking about until it was too late. And so the sad thing is uh, the word never made it back to Miss G that first night and all night long, she paced back and forth in the chill night air. She did finally give up and go home at daybreak the next day, but uh, she returned kind of heartbroken. She thought she'd been abandoned. But uh, the really sad thing is she returned her aunt and uncles and she contracted the flu as well. And the saddest part of all is two days later, both Miss G and her boyfriend were dead and they went to their graves, never ever finding out what happened to the other. So oh. they see her sad ghost is kind of bound to the stair. She paces back and forth, waiting for the soldier to show up and take her away one of these days. And until he does, we have her, the lady of the stairs. That's our most romantic and most tragic ghost story in the neighborhood.
0: How did you find out about this story did you have to do uh, you know go to the library and do all that research or how'd that happen
1: uh I, a lot of my stories involve a lot of research usually what happens though is someone tells me about something that they uh-huh. experienced or an apparition they saw or their grandparents you know they had a ghost in their house and i'll make a note of it and see what i could find out and so I've got this ongoing, you know, system of notes I'm always writing down. But then what will happen is, you know, I might not find anything. But then two years later, a totally different person I meet will say, oh, my grandmother lived in a house on 6th Street. And she had a ghost of a little girl in, in white on her front stairs. And I remember someone else told me a story like that. And I find out. The person who's currently living in the house told me that story and then someone whose family lived in the house in the past who didn't even you know the two parties didn't know each other tells me the same thing and so when you have that kind of coinciding um, narrative then that's when I really dig down and I try to do research and find out you know more about the place and then nine times out of ten that's when I'll find something in the historical record that kind of puts a face on the haunting for example The sixth street house uh, i found out that there was a little girl there in a white dress was hit by a car out front and um other people had seen her as well so the same thing happened with the lady of the stairs someone who uh there's a historical society across the street from that church they told me that they had seen this apparition um, no one really knew much about her, but it was talking to different sources and kind of doing research and, you know, cobbling things together that you're able to put these stories together.
0: That's interesting to me because, I mean, obviously it, it's a big neighborhood. So how long did it take you to, get, you know, get all these stories together for the tour?
1: Well, I've been doing these tours now for 18 years. Uh, that's my first book came out in 2005. So I've been giving tours in some form or other going on 18 years now so um my first book you know took several years to write and so when you're writing you know that kind of helps ingrain things and then you do it over and over again and you learn more i mean every year the tours kind of evolve a, a little more and become a little different from year to year but um yeah it's a lot of research and uh when you're interested in it that helps you know if you're passionate about something it makes it more fun and uh i love historical research finding things out and especially uncovering you know these historical tidbits that a lot of people you know might not know about it it kind of puts a face on the neighborhood and and makes it more interesting
0: i think it helps too because you're in a neighborhood where people are more willing to talk about it too you know it's a lot harder to do the, to do that to do what you do i, I used to do tours before COVID, you know, just around different little towns here. And it's hard because sometimes people don't want to talk about it.
1: Yeah. And um, I encountered some of that, but the thing about old Louisville, it's kind of known as a quirky neighborhood. It was like the Hate ashbury neighborhood, you know, <laughs> okay. Louisville back in the seventies and the sixties, that's where all the hippies lived. And so it's got that kind of artsy, it's always been that artsy bohemian vibe that's predominated. So a lot of people, and it's right by the university, so there's tons of students and people. And so a lot of people, uh, especially in recent years, they've come to embrace this reputation of being America's most haunted neighborhood. I have people coming to me and said, can you please come find a ghost in our house? You know, we'd like to have a ghost story with our house. And uh, people in old Louisville, for the most part, they embrace it. There are some people who like, you know, they think it's ridiculous. Some people, once in a while I'll get uh, you know a negative comment or so, but what's happened is using the ghost stories, I've been able to kind of uh, let people know about the neighborhood. And uh, for the most part, it's kind of helping the neighborhood out. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you had a chance to go in on any investigations in, in the neighborhood at all?
1: Yes. And so some people call me a ghost hunter. I'm not a ghost hunter, you know, I'm a skeptic. I don't know if I believe right. in ghosts. Right. I'm a ghost story hunter. I like to track down the stories and find out about those. And so a lot of times um, people contact me uh, saying they have disturbances in their houses. They're looking for someone to find out you know, what's going on, to do an investigation. So I have friends that do that and I'll put them in touch. Mm-hmm. And as with some of the stories I wrote, um, I would uh, put them in touch and then I'd go along and observe. I wouldn't participate, I would just observe and a lot of times, interesting things would come out during these investigations that kind of helped me round out the stories that I was doing research about. So um, I don't participate in any uh, paranormal investigations, but I love to observe them.
0: Well, I, I can understand that because I know um, it, it, it's, there's nothing like doing the research and then maybe uh, the team goes out or a medium goes out and the verifications there mm-hmm. you know, for the research you've done. Yeah. Which kind of makes it nice.
1: That's, and it's fascinating when that happens, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah. 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 So how, how many houses are on your tour or how many buildings?
1: Okay. Um, <laughs> so the ghost tour goes for about a hundred minutes and, you know, we do daytime tours where we focus on the history and architecture and those are, you have few uh, more stops. And, and we talk about the different architectural styles and the people who live there and there's anecdotes and things like that. But the, um, The ghost tour at night is more involved storytelling, like the lady of the stairs. I just told you we stop in front of that's that's on when I I have tour guides who help me out. But when I do this, the tour, that's my first uh, stop. And that's kind of how I tell the story. So we stop in front of eight or nine reportedly haunted locations. And each each story is five to ten minutes. They're more involved stories Uh and we cover about uh 14, 15 blocks of the neighborhood. We take people into the um the gas lamp district. We have these things in Old Louisville called walking courts where they built the houses so they don't face each other over busy streets with traffic running through them. They base they build the houses so they face each other over green spaces. You come out your front door, there's a grassy boulevard and sidewalks and gas lamps and um, Belgravia Court, for example, from 1891 is the most famous. Uh, I take people through there. Uh, we have a fountain at the center of Saint James Court. That's the main residential enclave that goes back to 1897. It's lit up at night, and there's a haunting associated with that place. So um, there's a famous tree, the Witch's Tree, where they say witches used to gather. Uh, we kind of end up there, but uh, they get a good um, they get a good overview of what the neighborhood is all about, mm-hmm. and uh, They can't hear all the stories. There's just no way we could tell all the stories on the tour. But it's a good way to uh, get your feet wet and learn about the neighborhood.
0: Do you ever feel like when you're walking out, you know, through the neighborhood at night, especially that you're being watched, or no?
1: Um, Sometimes, but usually it's me doing the watching. (laughs) Um, And I've written about this in some of my books. Um, Let me, let me, um, sure, aimlessly self-promote. Um, this book is my 12th book and that's about the house that I lived in that was supposedly haunted. And uh, we called it La Casa Fabulosa, you know, the the fabulous house in Spanish because it was painted all these bright colors on the outside. And um, so that book I wrote, I took the story about the poltergeist Lucy and all this spooky stuff that happened. And I kind of turned it into a memoir about that year I lived in the house. And one of the things I would do, this is as I was working on my, first, you know, ghost story books. I, I love walking. So I'm always out walking, but I love walking late at night. Like if I can't sleep, I love getting up like at two or three in the morning and just sneaking around the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, I'm six foot four and over 250 pounds. So I have to remind myself as a male, I'm lucky that I have that ability to be able just to walk on my own. A lot of my uh, female friends, they remind me that, you know, if you're a girl, that's a different situation. A lot right. of people would never feel comfortable like that. But what I do, I had my certain places like in Central Park in old Louisville. I would just um, I'd go walk around the gas lamp district and I go find a sycamore tree and just kind of sit under it with my back up to the trunk. And I would just sit there for half an hour, an hour and just kind of listen and watch. And if you don't move, you know possums start coming by and raccoons and then you see there's other late night people like you out uh, walking and so yeah i was doing the watching so i don't know how many times i was being watched right i'm sure i was i'm sure there's other weirdos like me that like just sit you know against the tree and in the middle of the night and, and and listen and watch for people to go by but um yeah you think about the house as kind of as characters themselves you know each one is its own uh has its own personality and um you kind of think of windows as eyes yeah every time you walk by it's like a house is watching you
0: right right i know the feeling i know the feeling mm-hmm. what's one of the most common stories that, that, that you hear from people
1: you mean type of story or like an. story <laughs> i mean-
0: what tends to run more so? I mean, like like the, like like the lady, you know, on the stairs, there's always those stories about, you know, bl- long lost loves and stuff. So-
1: yes, you know, the good thing is most of the stories I hear and write, they don't involve terrorizing spirits, you know, malicious or demonic kinds of things. I've heard a couple unsettling things, but most of the stories I've cobbled together and the people I've talked to, they involve, you know, more uh sad uh spirits you know like unrequited love Mm -hmm. um there's something that's keeping them behind some unfinished business you know um some kind of tragedy uh very often the ghosts that i've encountered in the neighborhood are they're sad forlorn kind of ghosts like the lady of the stairs Mm -hmm. a lot of people they they know about the ghosts in their house or the stories they've heard and most of them they say they kind of feel reassured by the presences. So the good thing is most of our hauntings seem to be of a a benign nature. I haven't heard too many really terrifying uh, tales myself.
0: Probably just people that love their houses so much and love the area so much they just don't want to leave. Yep,
1: yeah, that could be it.
0: Yeah. Um, have you ever, I mean, all these tours as you're taking, have you ever had anybody on the tour see something?
1: Uh-huh. And I, just the other uh, last week, someone on the, the ghost rat night took a picture of the stairs where the Lady of the Stairs haunts. Mm-hmm. And that's um, one of two places on the tour. There's another famous landmark called the Pink Palace. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on St. James Court, right in the middle of the Gaslamp District. And they have a helpful ghost. His name is Avery. He always appears uh during times of danger like to warn people so they think he's like a crisis apparition but um those two spots are the places where if people take pictures on the tours and something strange is going to show up it's those two places and just last week someone was on the the 7:30 ghost tour and they took a picture and uh and on one side of the the portico where the columns are there are, looks like a female form standing there in like a light colored wow gone and so yeah every once in a while people uh people catch things on film some say they feel things and sense things i'm always a little kind of skeptical about that because you know you're on a ghost tour i'm trying to freak you out you know uh there's powers of suggestion involved but um people do uh capture strange things on film you know and i think that's fascinating sometimes i don't know. when you were doing ghost tours, if you ever had this kind of person join you, but I get people who actually like sign up for a ghost tour and they want me to guarantee that they're going to see a ghost yep. on yep. the tour. I was like, well, that's you know not how it works. I can't, you know, I said I don't even know if I believe in ghosts, so I can't, you know, guarantee you're going to see one. But right. there are people, like that, they get mad. I had a, I've had some bad reviews because people didn't see ghosts on the tour. <laughs> what can you do about that? <laughs>
0: I understand. Is Mm -hmm. there a a picture like this with Halloween approaching? Does the activity or the people have this scar? Sorry. With Halloween approaching, has anybody told you that the activity in their house ramps up or anything like that? Or, or maybe Christmas, you know, things like Um,
1: that. You would think with Halloween. Right. Maybe more activity, but I mean, there's more going on in the neighborhood. So I hear just generally, more stories around Halloween and people are out and about. They're kind of looking for that, but actual cases of people who told me their houses are haunted, having things happen more frequently at Halloween. I haven't heard of that.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause sometimes I've heard sometimes around, sometimes around Christmas, because a lot of from what, you know, psychics have told me that, you know, your more of your relatives come.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Kind of gathering, you know, yeah. a yearly event, a tradition. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. And I would think that your tours, I mean, I see, I was on your website. I see you, you do do a lot of tours, a lot of tours. And so does it pick up more during, during the Halloween season?
1: Oh, definitely. You? Oh, just, yeah, we sell out. I mean, we offer the tours we do them seven days a week, March through November. Fortunately, I have tour guides who help me out. I can't do them all myself anymore. But yeah, our October tours, and we do usually a, a six o'clock, a 7.30, a 9.15 tour, at least every night in October. They usually sell out a couple of weeks in advance. And then we have a special um, tour that we do once a year. Um, It's always a third weekend in October, so it's not this coming weekend, but the the weekend after next, it's called the Victorian Ghost Walk. So instead of like me doing a regular tour where I take people around Uh and tell the stories at each supposedly haunted location, for these three nights in October, um, guides leave with a group of 35 from the Conrad Caldwell House, it's our big, They call it Conrad's Castle. It's a big Victorian mansion on St. James Court. And every 15 minutes, a guide goes with a group of 35 people. And at every location they stop, there's an actor or actors in Victorian attire. They come alive as the spirits. And they tell the stories. And some of them are sitting in the front parlor, like where they were poisoned, or uh, they're they're on their front porch where they were stabbed. And so you go inside some of the mansions. There's six mansions we're going inside this year. They kind of become the stage sets. And uh, that's a really uh, fun time. The, a lot of the neighborhood people they dress up just to add atmosphere, and they they, they stroll in Victorian attire on the gas lamp uh, lit sidewalks. Um, this is going to be our 14th year of doing it. It's, it keeps getting better and better every year.
0: That sounds fantastic. I want to get you make me want to run to uh, take a flight over, over Louisville.
1: You should. That's I when I when I write my books. That's kind of one of the things I want. I want people uh to come to the neighborhood and it's been working uh, my mm-hmm. actually funny thing today is the one year anniversary of my um my latest book my book number 13 let me uh, promote again
0: go for it
1: the dark room and glitterball city so today is exactly the one year uh release date anniversary but uh i've been getting some good reviews the new york times gave me a good review other places have said good things about it they're comparing it to um Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, you know, by John Barrett. And after he wrote that, tourism really ramped up in Savannah. And and I don't shy away from it. I admire John Barrett, and his book was, you know, the inspiration for the book I just wrote. Mm -hmm. But um, since the book has come out, we have people come just because they read the book and they wanted to see the neighborhood and the places that I described. And this book is actually a true crime book. There's a terrible murder uh, that was um, uncovered in a house that I almost bought when I moved out of the the Casa Fabulosa. Fortunately, I didn't buy it. Um, but yeah, two years later, after I looked at it, there was a terrible murder uncovered there, and uh, that was the impetus for this true crime book. I sat in on the trials and tried to find out kind of what went on in that house.
0: Interesting. So you know, when you look at these stories. I mean, obviously the, the the neighborhood you know area is haunted. I know, like I know towns out here where the whole main street's haunted, you know, every building, and you know mm-hmm. they are. Um, how how do you approach people to ask them about their house? Do you, you just walk in? and go, you just knock on the door and say, "Hey, you know." Well, you know, lately I haven't
1: been doing that, but when I started writing my books, my first one came out in two thousand five. Oh. Yeah, I would go knock on someone's door. and say, "Hey, you got a beautiful house. You have any ghost stories or anything?" Or you know, I think up. Weird about your house. Um, I don't do that anymore. Um now, you know, it's so it's so much easier to do research nowadays because everything's online. You know, back when I was doing my first books, you had to go to the library and pull up old newspapers on microfiche and microfilm. Oh, and like yeah, it took hours, days, like to find just one little tidbit you were looking for. Now, practically every newspaper that was around a hundred. 150 years ago is online and you can access it digitally. Uh, just I wish I would have had that resource back in the day when I was doing research because it's just so easy to find information nowadays compared to how it used to be.
0: Absolutely. Are there any houses or, or buildings that seem to be more haunted than others?
1: In old Louisville, I don't know. They're just, I mean, it always seems to be one particular family that lived there and something happened Mm -hmm. yeah and it's always well not always there's a couple wooden ones but it's always seems to be the brick the brick houses
0: Mm -hmm. brick houses
1: that have the stories and i don't know why that is maybe because it's locally made uh red brick within 10 miles there were six different brickyards back in the day Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a lot of clay deposits Uh, down by the you know louisville sits on the ohio river uh, it's right on the border where Indiana starts, but there used to be Indian burial mounds um, not too far away when the city was first settled, and they just kind of bulldozed them. Um, there's a legend that supposedly in the 1200s, a Welsh prince, Prince Madoc, he made it to Louisville, coming down the Ohio River with some of his um, force, uh, his some of his explorers, and they built a fortress along the river out of stone and uh, there's a uh, art deco bridge the second street bridge goes across to indiana it was built in 1927 but i talked to workers who said their fathers and grand grandparents you know were around and worked on that project and they said they had to like break away stone foundations that were already there you know to build a bridge so maybe there was something there at one time there's a lot of neat um legends and um you know, urban uh, urban legends and and things like that that abound just in this area. Um, and there's crypt uh, crypted creatures and stuff. There's um, just um, a lot of spooky things. I guess Louisville's just a spooky city. And old Louisville, you know, the biggest concentration of old houses that survives. I guess mm-hmm. just kind of lends itself to mm-hmm. these haunts and um, embracing the paranormal and the supernatural.
0: Well, it's like you say, there's so much history in the area. I mean, there's got to be inference here, inference there, and, you know. And, and it's bound to to come to the rise whether the stories are true or not, you know, because there are stories that are passed on from mm-hmm. generation after generation, you know, when you're in an area like that. Mm-hmm. How hard or how long did it take you to put the first book together? To get that research?
1: Uh, two or three years. Okay. And then it took... You know, then I had to find a publisher that wanted to publish it. That wasn't too hard. That went pretty quick. But it, you know, within a year of turning in the manuscript, the book was on on the shelves, and uh, it was a you know, it was a locally uh, published book by a Kentucky publisher. But it did really well, and um, it shows you that there was that craving. You know, people want the story, want to find out more right. uh, this neighborhood, and so it um, it's still, I mean. 17 years later, that book still sells well today.
0: Now, to do the tours, did you have to do any presentations to to anybody at the city or anything like that to get the permission to go?
1: No. um, The tour guide business in Kentucky is I don't, I tried to find out if you have to get a license or something or if you can get certified. There are certain cities and areas that have their special certification to be one of their guides, Mm -hmm. but generally all I have to do is I, you know, I have an LLC, so I have an occupational license, Mm -hmm. and with that occupational license, you know, what I pay, that allows me just to operate like a regular business, you know, customers get to use the sidewalks, and um, so I'm not going into any private places, it's all in public areas, so the fact that I have an occupational license is kind of, what i use
0: okay okay i was wondering about that yeah, mm-hmm. i've had to do presentations <laughs> that's really exciting when you have to do that um when you look at these houses and and, and the people are, are with you on the tours do they because i remember doing tour like i said i did tours before it's funny to watch the look on people's faces because they're so intent on trying to see the ghost or, or, or mentally envision what that ghost is doing mm-hmm do you ever just, just, just like to stare at, you know, people watch on your own tours?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to because you have to read the audience. You have to know whether or not you, you're gripping them. And so, you know, like I said, this is my 18th year. Right. It's just in the last year or so, I really started to understand what an art storytelling is. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to to. You know hook an audience right away Mm -hmm. and so yeah i'm always looking at faces and you can see the ones who are really intent you know wide-eyed um i tell the lady the stare story sometimes people cry you know so you know it's working when you do do that but um now what i always do and like when i train my guides um my technique in storytelling is you try to create mystery right away you know People want to know what's going on. And then you give them hints so they can kind of figure things out by the end of the story. And we always start each story by planting an image. We stop in front of the, the First Church of Christ scientist, and I describe the lady of the stairs who's been seen there haunting. So you got to plant that image of the ghost in the, the person's mind. You have mm-hmm. to make them see that. And then you have to do your narration and give them little bits of information and help them Come to figure out what's going on before you get there. If they figure it out before you give them the punchline or the, you know, the the explanation for the haunting, they feel you know smarter than you. And um, so you gotta you gotta plant that image and you've got to create that curiosity. People are they're gonna be asking, well, why is she always pacing back and forth? And you know, why is she doing this? So then the little bits of information you give them throughout the story kind of helps them to to piece that together. But yeah, you definitely. Uh, You have to keep an eye. And, you know, if you're talking to people, you make eye contact anyway. So if you have a big group, it's a little more challenging. But you definitely have to uh, be able to read an audience. And, you know, sometimes, you know, get people rolling their eyes. So you got to do special things to try to, you know, get them back and stuff. There's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be a grumpy pants every now and then, But for the most part. People on my tours, they just love the neighborhood. The neighborhood kind of sells itself. You know, mm-hmm. we've got this beautiful backdrop. We stop in front of a row of three mansions and there's gas lamps. And it's just, you know, just a beautiful place just to stand and watch. And if you have someone who can tell a story and kind of make the place come alive, that, that makes it even better.
0: And are the neighborhoods cooperative with you? I mean, because just, just you are walking up and down with, with, with a bunch of people staring at their houses.
1: Yeah, well, for the most part... Um, I'm, I'm sure there's people who don't like me doing it, but for the most part, uh, the na- and I, I know half of the people, you know, because I lived in the neighborhood for years, so I, mm-hmm. I know half of the neighborhood, but for the most part, um, they see it as a good thing. Uh, first off, I'm getting people on the streets, mm-hmm. you know, when you see groups of people walking around, uh, it shows you the neighborhood's alive. And some people, um, you know, for like on the edge of the neighborhood where it can kind of get sketchy, Mm -hmm. Uh, It's helped bring attention to that part of the neighborhood. Uh, For the most part, we're, or I should say for all the time, I think I try to be respectful. I try not to make too much noise when I'm someplace uh, telling a story, you know, I don't want to disturb a homeowner if they're inside. So, um, yeah, I try to be respectful and most people they've only seen it as uh really doing good things for the neighborhood i've had people take the tours and fall in love with the neighborhood and move there afterwards so it's getting the word out and then of course it brings customers to the local restaurants and the bed and breakfast a lot of times people they'll read one of my books and they'll hop on a plane like you said and they come to old louisville just to see old louisville and they stay for a weekend at a bed and breakfast um the only really issue i've had is i've been accused of gentrifying the neighborhood um and you know it is what it is um i had a coffee shop accuse me of gentrifying the neighborhood oh. and a you know, coffee shop. That's like the first sign of gentrification in any neighborhood. It's yeah. me of promoting gentrification. Um, but the thing is old Louisville, it's very diverse. It's kind of a microcosm of the whole city. And that's why people live there. So there's multifamily dwellings, there's apartments, there's single family houses. I've just uh, I you know, I just want to get the word out and I want to save these old houses. You know, I want to make sure the neighborhood uh thrives and you know is not overlooked. And right. Old timers in old Louis, or in Louisville, they kind of still think of it like it was back in the '60s and '70s. It was kind of run down and seedy, so um, some people in town they think, you know, they think it's still a bad part of town, old Louisville. And so, with my tours and stuff, I've definitely tried to rehab that image, and to a certain extent, it's worked.
0: Oh, absolutely! And anything to help the, um, the, the you know, the older areas. I, I think it's mm-hmm. wonderful. I think what you do is great. I do. Yep. I think it's great. Now let's talk about people on your tours now do, do you take old age groups or how's that work
1: yeah for the most part um it, it's going to be adults usually but we have kids come along every now and then and for the ghost tour um there's well, actually the the house that i wrote about in a dark room in Glitterball city mm-hmm. um that's got some racy elements to it like SM and and kinky stuff so the tour guide knows how to tone it down if there's a kid right. in the audience. But uh for the most part, um we get um not too many younger kids, but we get lots of teenagers and, and tweens.
0: Okay, okay. Sometimes the kids know more about stuff than we do.
1: Oh yeah. And uh you yeah, know, they're ghosty kids like we have, you know, goth kids and ghosty kids that 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 that's their birthday celebration they want to do a ghost tour with their friends and stuff so we do private tours and kind of arrange it for however people want
0: that's really cool though really cool what's one of your um, I, I know we talked about the lady on the stairs what, what's, what's one of your other favorite houses to to go to
1: well actually it's um my other favorite location is the, the witch's tree so there's this gnarled and twisted tree at the corner of 6 and, and Park Avenue. And the legend is that back in the day, there at that corner, a coven of witches used to gather at night. And there was a tall, young maple tree that stood on the corner. And every night, this coven of local witches would gather and on its branches, they'd cast their spells and they'd brew their potions and you know do the things that witches do. And it went on that way for many, many years. But in 1889, things were interrupted. That year, the city announced a plans to chop the lovely tree down. Excuse me. They wanted to use it for the upcoming May Day celebrations if you know, I think about May Day, May 1st, it's a holiday. We don't celebrate a lot anymore, but in Victorian times, May 1st was seen as like the official welcome to spring. You're banishing the cold winter months and uh, welcoming, you know, spring and summer. As the centerpiece of any May Day activities, what did you have to have? A maypole. So they announced that they were going to use the witch's tree for the upcoming maypole. And with a maypole, what you do is you find a tall beautiful tree you'd fell it strip it of its bark then you direct it someplace festoon it with garlands and greenery from the top would dangle a wreath of hawthorn often from that would dangle uh colorful ribbons children would grab the ends of these ribbons do these intricate dances weave these elaborate patterns and uh it was a happy festive joyous occasion but What I heard uh, is that the Louisville witches weren't very big on happy, festive, joyous occasions. (laughs) And they warned the city not to steal their tree or else. But one morning uh, a woodsman came and he chopped the tree down and went crashing to the ground. And as it did, the Louisville witches went shrieking off to the west uh, end as it was known back then where there were still forests. And they went in search of a new maple tree where they could hide out and conduct their rituals. But before they left, the head witch turned around and she cursed the city. And her final words were, beware Louisville, beware 11th month. But nobody took her warning seriously. And May 1st rolled around and they danced around the Maypole and they celebrated. And afterwards, they chopped it up and they burnt the logs in a big Whitsuntide bonfire, as was custom. And people promptly forgot about the witches and their warning Uh, until exactly 11 months later. It was March 27th. 1890. And back then, most of Louisville was concentrated along the river. And downtown uh, townsfolk, they looked to the west and above the witch's forest off in the distance. They saw these dark uh, clouds come together and start to churn and spin. And all of a sudden, a massive tornado emerged from the witch's forest, headed for downtown Louisville. Supposedly, the witches had spent these 11 months every day meeting and conjuring and cursing and brewing up their revenge. And uh, the tornado that emerged was so big, eyewitnesses said it looked like a hurricane from a distance. And they said in the spinning dark clouds, you could see a snarling, angry face. And that was the storm demon. That was the witch's curse. And the New York Times even wrote about this back then. You know, this is a legend, but legends always have. You know, legends aren't true, but they always have some kernel. And the big tornado of March 27, 1890, is a fact. Uh, they called it the Storm Demon. That's a fact, and a fact is it destroyed most of the city. Mm-hmm. So within four minutes, uh, what was Louisville back then along the river was decimated. The Storm Demon left south going into what is old louisville today and uh in its wake hundreds of homes and mansions were blown to bits and 120 some people lay dead on the streets and of those people killed a good number belonged to something known as the May Day celebration committee the ones who chopped the tree down and so the storm demon did his job he got his revenge for the witches and as he was uh, barreling uh past the spot where the Maple tree had once stood, they said a bolt of lightning shot up from the tornado, kind of as if hurled by the hand of the storm demon. And it uh, struck the stump of the maple that had been there. And there's a tremendous explosion. And the tree that's there today sprang up from the earth in a shower of sparks and flame and smoke to kind of replace the tree that was stolen from the witches. And it's not a perfect maple tree, a perfect straight tree that's there anymore. The day Today, the tree that's there is gnarled and twisted. It's got craggy branches and it's covered in these big, uh, warty uh, burls. And supposedly it grew back that way so people would never be tempted to chop it down as a maypole again. And um, since they have their tree back, guess what? The witches have returned to the corner. And many nights you'll find them there where they cast their spells and they brew their potions and they do the things that witches do. So, real life. Um, Self-proclaimed witches and pagans will meet their nights of the summer solstice, the fall. And it's become something of a destination. People come from all over and they leave things on the tree for the witches. If you go or Google it, you can find pictures. They leave trinkets and charms and crucifixes and voodoo things on the tree to kind of make amends to the witches and also... Uh, to curry favor with them. The local lore is if you leave something horse-related for the witches before you go bet on the ponies at Churchill Downs, which is right down the road, the witches will help you pick a winning horse. Um, but yeah, if you uh, Google pictures, you can see there's just tons of stuff on the witches tree. And uh, I actually just led a tour this morning, and um, there was some colorful stuff on the tree. Sometimes when you go there, you have to be careful because people they actually steal the stuff off the tree. They take kind of souvenirs from the witches which Mm -hmm. i always say isn't a good idea because we know they're vindictive already right and uh if you don't believe me you can uh find out you can check in at the Witches tree on facebook and you can go back over the years and see hundreds of pictures of beautiful things that were left for the witches like handmade gifts and offerings and antiques and then they were subsequently stolen you can see curses the witches put on the people who stole from them Yeah. So that's, that's one of my favorite spots. We, uh, we stopped there during the history tour and during the ghost tour at night.
0: That is really cool. Do you ever, uh, this is something, and I tell this story about doing a cemetery tour here where they dressed up in Victorian clothing, you know, to act out the parts of the dead, Mm -hmm. but I had gone previously on a psychic tour of the cemetery. So I knew what was in there. And so I decided to wander in my infinite wisdom to wander off alone with my camera, taking photos uh-huh. And I came up to this one particular gravesite, didn't know that the, that they had the actress back there. And she walks out dressed in this gown and she's dancing. I, I mean, I just screamed. I lit the whole cemetery up. And have you ever had anybody, I mean, that, that's been really into your stories and not realized that people are, are, are dressing up like that?
1: Um, not for the Victorian ghost walk, you know, our theatrical event, but like I said, old Louisville is a very colorful neighborhood. So we, we walk through the neighborhood and you never know who you're going to run into. And so sometimes, you know, people like, you know, is that a real person we're looking at, or is it, yeah, some people get freaked out because I've seen people just walk around in Victorian attire. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people are dressed in, you don't know what kind of style they're dressed or they're right. dressed as so uh, especially when you're walking around and it's dark and they got the gas lamps on you know, if you see real life people in the distance kind of um not sure if they're real or not sometimes
0: absolutely last question for you sir i know you're busy you're on the court you're on the street in las vegas and there's your ghost tours and there's some other ghost tours you know people that do tours what makes your stand out above everybody else's
1: um it's funny you say that because um oops sorry my phone just went off but um it's
0: the ghost yeah yeah
1: the ghost funny thing is um in april uh a ghost tour company came into old louisville and they pretty much copied my tours and so there's um there's a an ongoing lawsuit uh because what makes my tours different is uh for 95 percent of well, almost 99% of the tour, the places we stop, the stories did not exist until I dug them up and cobbled them together. You know, a lot of places you go to like New Orleans, you know, the Lurie Mansion, they've known about that for 200 years. You know, a lot of places they've had stories and legends passed on for generations after generations. And my stories, for the most part, did not exist uh, until 20 years ago, until, I started tracking people down and interviewing this person and then tying it together with this person and then doing research and finding the deed to this house and so for the most part what makes it different is these are all stories from books i've written Mm -hmm. and federally um copyright protected stories and um they're original stories that just for the most part were not around
0: absolutely Mm -hmm. david thank you so much i had a great time talking with you learned so much about Oh, Louisville. Oh, my gosh. I want to hop a plane. I, like oh, I said, let there me there. know
1: when you're in town, and I'll show you around.
0: I'll do that. And we would love to have you on again in the future to talk about this stuff and talk about, you know, your books and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. So that would be great. Sounds so I'm going to let you go. And I really appreciate it. How can people find you before I do that? I keep forgetting. Uh, well, you can
1: go to the website for my historic tours, globalhistorictours.com. You can go to my webpage, daviddomine.com. Um, you can look me up on Facebook, uh, on, on, uh, Instagram. I'm the Bluegrass peasant. And, uh, if you go to Instagram, you're gonna see a lot of food pigs. Cause all I do is cook and eat half the time when I'm not doing <laughs> and stuff and that's I love funny. to travel. And so that's kind of my, um, that's my travel and, uh, foodie persona, but, uh, yeah, I'm out there. I mean, most of the stuff you can find, it's my, my direct number and uh, email. It's really easy to, to get in touch with me.
0: All right, sir. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know you're busy, and yeah. have a great rest of the day.
1: You too. My pleasure.
0: All right. Bye-bye, sir. Bye-bye. All right. That was really fun. That was really cool. I mean, yeah, I do definitely want to go check out his ghost tours. I love that stuff, just like a lot of you guys do. Tomorrow, we're back on our normal time, 630 p.m. Pacific. Our old friend Mary Muter is going to be with us to catch up. we just do some, some catch up with her. Plus, you know, she bought a haunted castle. She moved into a haunted castle on the east, somewhere in the east coast, I think. And I think it's east coast, or she's on the west coast. I'll have to ask her. Coast, coast, coast. But uh, she, she lives in a haunted castle. And the last time we talked to her, she was just doing remodeling and all kinds of stuff was happening in there. So it's going to be fun to find out what else has happened to her, you know. So she'll be with us tomorrow at 6.30 p.m., the usual time for the show. Uh, if you're well again if you like the show you're watching from facebook please hit that follow button if you're watching from youtube please uh, subscribe it's that little ghost down in the bottom right hand corner with the magnifying glass of the sherlock holmes head on and uh yeah because we've got a lot of videos all kinds of topics you'll see all kinds of topics all right if you like the show share it with five people if you hated the show share it with five of your enemies we're just trying to get the word out no matter what uh the more the merrier uh if you want to i'm also trying to build up um Instagram. So look me up on Instagram as ghosty gal. All right. That's ghosty gal. I'm also on Twitter at under California haunts It's all lowercase. You can check us out over there. Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming today. And you see that ticker at the bottom. That's because when we do our investigations, we don't charge or anything like that. And since I own everything, since I own the company, if, if if something breaks, or like even in here, if the computer breaks, the mic breaks, the headphones break, or even if the bills start coming, I have to pay for all that. And, I'd, and you know, it it gets gets hard. Like everybody else, I'm just trying to make ends meet. So if you can find it in your heart to help me out a little bit, that would be paypal.me at California Haunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, that's Venmo and just type in California Haunts. Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming. And I will see you tomorrow at 6, you know, uh, sorry, at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Bye.